0: Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them,
1: the fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books.
0: We're your hosts, Sam and Anna, and let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam
1: and Anna, and we have a very fun mini planned for today. Do we have any announcements before I tell everybody what we're talking about
0: uh yeah we do have a couple announcements on the way um first thing is this is finally the first episode Anna and I are recording on the new equipment just the two of us
1: yeah so hopefully it sounds nice and crisp in all your ears um it sounds great on our end and we're really excited to have all this fun new equipment so uh yeah moving forward I think things can only get better from here hopefully (laughs) yep (laughs) assuming I learned how to use all the equipment properly
0: yeah, for sure, and it's been a great work in progress, and we're just so thankful and glad that we really amped up the quality of our recording. Uh, news number two, we're going to be continuing along with the King Killer Chronicles and starting season two with Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss, so Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear fans, definitely be on the lookout, because we'll be starting season two very soon.
1: I think it'll be the next episode after this one. And yeah, our other... And I already announced this, but we do have merch available at fantasticbookspod.com. If you've been following us on Facebook or Instagram, we've been posting a couple things that Sam and I bought ourselves, so some t-shirts and some bags, Um, but there's all sorts of fun stuff out there, so you can check that out. But I think without further ado, we can get into today's episode.
0: Yes, I do just want to give one special shout out to... Oh
1: yeah, we got our our very first iTunes review It was so nice and kind, and it was written by, let me just check, I want to make sure I get your name correct. It was written by Disco Clover, so they wrote us this amazing review that says this is the only podcast you need. Going on a long road trip, fantastic books. Hike, fantastic books. Working out, fantastic books. 12-hour shift, fantastic books. Stop messing around with all those other time-wasting podcasts and start messing around with this time-wasting podcast. You won't regret it. Sounds like a professional commercial or ad writer, like, wrote this review for us. So it was so nice. I don't know who Disco Clover is, but thank you so, so much. um, And we hope you continue to enjoy the podcast. Um, So we're actually going to start on today's topic. So today's mini sewed. We decided that we were going to talk some Harry Potter, but we wanted to talk Harry Potter off the pages. So these are all fan theories, things that are not canon Things that are not necessarily part of the books, but I personally love some of these fan theories. I don't like some of the other ones, so we'll get into that. But I think we've got a good amount, like 10 or so fan theories we're going to talk about today.
0: We got a couple of fan theories, just fun fan service little tidbits that I like that I kind of picked apart. And we wanted to do Harry Potter in a way that a lot of other podcasts have not done Harry Potter. We <laughs> just shaken it up.
1: I mean, there's hundreds of harry potter podcasts out there so i'm not sure that we're doing it in a different way but yes this is our harry potter fan theories episode i have read the harry potter series probably a dozen times at least like i grew up on harry potter as part of the harry potter generation and it was like pivotal to my childhood in terms of reading and pop culture um and sam has only read them one time
0: no twice Actually, no, one time. You're right. So I was very late to the Harry Potter party. I want to say I didn't really, like I read the first two to three growing up in elementary school and I was not as infatuated with it as everybody else. I, I loved the movies, but I was just like, eh, they're okay.
1: Was it one of those things where you don't like it because everybody else loves it?
0: No, I think back when I was growing up, part of it was definitely being dyslexic, but I just did not enjoy reading the way I do now that's fair so growing up i was like eh it was almost more of a chore i definitely was like more stimulated by video games or tv based stuff so that was definitely more my like wheelhouse
1: well i'm glad you read them eventually oh
0: yeah no they're phenomenal i mean i think we picked them up when i was like in college and it was really just a pleasure to read through and then we went to england and we got to like go to harry potter studios and see everything there which was awesome so fun And so, yeah, no, really. I think you were
1: literally finishing the seventh book on the flight to London.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was genuinely perfect. It was a really great way to go do that.
1: So anyway, here are our fan theories in no particular order. I have one that I've actually never seen before. I'd like to save that towards the end. It's a pretty intense fan theory. So I think I might start with a really light one, um, which is one of my favorites. And I had heard this one a long time ago, but hadn't seen it gain any traction. And then when I went to look it up, Yesterday, it uh, has become much more popular. But the fan theory is that Crookshanks is Lily Potter's cat. So in book seven, Harry, well, he's hiding out at Grimald Place with Ron and Hermione goes through um, Sirius's room and finds a scrap of a letter from his mom to Sirius. And in it, she's thanking Sirius for sending the toy broomstick to Harry for his birthday. And like mentions, oh, Harry loves it so much. He was zooming around the house and almost ran over the cat. So we know that When Harry was one, just about, the Potters had a cat. And while reading this letter, Harry wonders if the cat survived the attack from Voldemort on his family, and like, kind of vaguely is like, I wonder where that cat is now. And the cat would be, I mean, if it was a brand new cat when Harry was a baby, it would be 16, 17 years old, which is totally in the realm of possibility for a cat. Um, Cats live to be about 15 to 20, so that's not unheard of. And then in Prisoner of Azkaban, when Hermione buys Crookshanks, so this is like the first time Crookshanks shows up, the owner of Magical Menagerie, the pet shop, says that he'd been there for a long time. And at this point, as I was taking notes, I was like, oh, maybe... Because you know how like uh, Hedwig and other animals in the Harry Potter series are kind of sentient and like know stuff? Like, they're smarter than regular pets?
0: Oh, absolutely. And Crookshanks is definitely one of those like pets that... Are a little bit a step above. They the way they interact with people and the way they like think is definitely more than just like an average animal.
1: Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe he recognized Harry's scent on Hermione, and that's why he warmed up to Hermione enough for her to adopt him. And like you said, he's really smart, and he recognizes Scabbers and Sirius in his dog form like right away. So because like throughout the entire book, Crookshanks keeps trying to hunt down Scabbers, so he knows something is weird about him, and he does recognize Sirius as the black dog and like helps him get into the Whomping Willow and like Harry sees them running around together so there's good reason to believe that like Crookshanks has interacted with these creatures before but as I was researching this fan theory it, this is strange to me but on Pottermore apparently Crookshanks is something uh called a neasel he's part neasel which are creatures that look like little lions and they can solve problems and can recognize untrustworthy people so what I think happened here is fans made this great theory about, like, Crookshanks being from Harry's, like, childhood and past, and instead J.K. Rowling was like, no, he's so smart because he's this part magical creature, yeah, and kind like of covering you're... her tracks, and a lot of the stuff that came out on Pottermore, I think, is from J.K. Rowling, is trying to her to cover, like plot holes and small pieces of the plot that people wanted to know more about. And sometimes I think they fall short of the mark. But I love the fan theory that like Crookshanks is Lily Potter's cat. It's like such a low stakes fan theory. It wouldn't affect the plot in any way. And it would explain this connection. And just like for Harry to have something from his past, I think would be nice. It's not like he has any memories of the cat, but I think it would be really cute if Crookshanks ended up being his family's cat. Although Crookshanks and Harry have no connection to each other in the books at all.
0: No, but I don't know. It's just like a nice little like hat tip, where it's just like something nice and something for the uh, readers to enjoy.
1: Right. Um. Fun fact: Crookshanks stayed at the Burrow during Book Seven. I did not know this. Um. I always kind of wondered where he went, and potentially, hopefully, uh, was reunited with Hermione afterwards.
0: Oh, hope so. Do so, you have a
1: fan theory for us now?
0: Yes, I actually have a really interesting one that I never considered until I read the theory on i think it was reddit so the theory is that one of the reasons that dursley's treated harry so poorly is because he's a horcrux
1: i love that theory it makes oh, so much God, sense it's so cool because well i mean they seem like terrible people anyway but i think it makes so much sense given what we know the horcrux does to ron harry and hermione in book seven when they're wearing it and like how much ron is affected by the presence of the horcrux so if you grew up especially dudley grew up constantly surrounded by horcruxes uh, like a horcrux in harry it would be such a negative thing
0: oh yeah and i think it's just i think it's more than the resentment of the dursley's taking harry and due to the fact that his family were wizards and murdered i think yeah they are kind of like terrible people but i think harry being a horcrux definitely influenced their behavior towards him because there's no reason to be like locking a child under the stairs for, like 12 years unless like he's unless <laughs> he's really like given off a bad vibe
1: yeah and like even if you didn't like his parents there's no real reason to treat a child like that and like they have a child who they dote upon so it's not like they are just cruel to children yeah so i think it makes sense that like the the negativity would affect them
0: although but then it's like you know the common rooms at hogwarts when he stays with ron and neville and dean and yeah Seamus. like wouldn't
1: and we see how much ron is affected by the horcrux in book seven you'd think that all the time he spends with harry would make him really grumpy which i guess sometimes it does but it's played off as more of ron being jealous of harry because he's always second best
0: or maybe horcruxes have a stronger effect on muggles because they're not used to being around magic
1: maybe I don't know. You know. I mean, like I just, just said, Ron is like severely affected by the Horcrux in book seven. Yeah. He turns into Dark Ron. <laughs> yeah, Dark Ron. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely holes in that. It makes a lot of sense for like the first 11 years of their lives. They're all around Harry. Or like the, for the first 11 years of Harry's life, he's all around the Dursleys. And Dudley has grown up in the presence of a Horcrux all the time. So I can see why that would affect them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like prolonged exposure.
1: Yeah. For sure there's no <laughs> like yes they are a plot device and jk rowling tends to write characters in extremes but there's absolutely no reason for them to behave the way they did like sure petunia was mad at lily for like being a witch but i feel like that's a reconcilable difference oh yeah and i have no idea i would assume james and vernon would not get along with each other but like you would just kind of be civil you know it's family yeah so i don't know like if you inherit a baby it's not like the baby did anything wrong to you
0: yeah it's not like ah a baby let's lock it under the stairs for 10 years like also
1: he was a baby when they first got him did they just like leave him in dirty diapers and forget about him and like yeah like it's more entertaining in the fact that like when harry's 11 he lives under the stairs and he has to like cook breakfast for them but like how did that develop
0: you're four now it's time to do your own laundry like, like
1: it's 4 you're four now make my bed <laughs> make my food like it doesn't make any sense
0: oh uh, yes the child servant <laughs>
1: so sad
0: very so sad. sad well harry you did it you grew up you overcame
1: shockingly everyone's always like harry's such a noble boy especially dumbledore is always like harry you grew up to be so good and i'm like there were so many opportunities for Harry to turn into a horrible person because he yeah. suffered years of abuse. And you kept making him return to the Dursleys every summer without explaining. And he has, like, no parental parental figures in his life. Like, this poor kid.
0: I know. And then something that we always talk about when we watch, like, the books or watch the movies or read the books is um how when Harry interacts with so many people who knew their, his parents yes. and never bring it up.
1: Yeah, like Lupin. You were literally best friends with Harry's dad, and (laughs) you see this poor, like, 13-year-old kid, like, not really knowing anything about his family or his parents and having no kind of connections besides his two best friends who are also 13. And then you take months to be like, oh, yeah, we were family, essentially. Like, I was so close with your parents. That's
0: not cool. Why would you keep that a secret? Literally. And then it's like, nah, let's just play with this bogger instead. Like, bro, come on.
1: Like, poor Harry knows actually nothing about his
0: parents. I know. You think he could be like, let's have a one-on-one. Your parents were great. I was their best friend. Life's rough. How you doing? Like, what's up? Yeah.
1: The only person who, like, hooked him up was Hagrid with that photo album in book one. And Hagrid only was able to do that because he reached out to all of Harry's parents' friends. Like, Hagrid w- wasn't super close with Harry's parents, it sounds like. No. But he still came through for Harry. And nobody else
0: did. So classic dad hagrid I
1: know <laughs> Well uh you have a theory that's exactly not dad hagrid don't you
0: Yes Do you um, want to talk about that one There is a lot to that so I actually want to cover a couple of light topics first cuz this one it's like buckle up
1: Oh okay okay well I can uh I can go over this one which is that Ron is a seer So I think this one's actually a really funny one especially because Ron kind of stinks at magic he's not good he and Harry like put no effort into learning which is weird if you are your destiny is to defeat the Dark Lord, you'd think you'd try to learn something useful. Um, but this theory is that the things that Ron makes as jokes, like statements he makes offhandedly, often actually come true. And I'm sure it was done just as like a, a type of irony in, in the writing, but it, I think it would be more entertaining if Ron was unintentionally predicting the future. So I have a list of different things that Ron does Uh, or says in a prediction form that actually end up happening. So in the Sorcerer's Stone, he tells Harry not to go back to the Mirror of Erised because he has a funny feeling about it um, and thinks it's not safe. And that ends up being where Harry confronts Quirrell Voldemort. Also in Sorcerer's Stone, at the very beginning, when they first get to Hogwarts and they're getting sorted, Ron is like, oh, all you have to do is put on the hat. And then in a, this quote, quote says, I'll kill Fred. He was going on about wrestling a troll. And then they actually fight a troll on Halloween in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, in Chamber of Secrets, he makes an offhand remark that Riddle was probably the one who m- murdered Moaning Myrtle, which ends up being true. Also in Chamber of Secrets, he tries to warn Harry that the diary is dangerous um, and tells him to stay away from it, which Ron frames as a warning of like, oh, my dad always said don't trust magical objects where you can't see where their brain is. And then the diary is a horcrux, so it's, like, super dangerous.
0: Dang. Wow, Ron. Undercover. <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: Also in Chamber of Secrets, right from the beginning, he thinks uh, Lockhart's kind of a phony before he even is their teacher. You remember they go to the bookshop and his mom's like, oh, Lockhart's so cool. Yeah. And Ron's like, this guy's not no, what we think he is. No, calling it out. <laughs> yeah. Which I think he's just, you know, being a 13-year-old boy in that case. Yeah. But- in The Prisoner of Azkaban, when they first start taking divination, he reads Harry's tea leaves as a bowler hat, which we know the Minister of Magic, Fudge, wears a bowler hat, and makes a joke. He goes, oh, maybe you'll work for the Ministry, which Harry later does as he the head of the or Department. Yep. And then in The Goblet of Fire, because they're taking so much divination, Harry and Ron end up predicting all of the events of the Triwizard Tournament while making up stuff for their divination homework. Um, so at one point they say... Ron says, uh, Harry, you'll be in danger of burns, which is the dragons. Oh, yeah. Wow. Then he says you'll lose a treasured possession, which is the lake. Your friends get stolen and put at the bottom of a lake. Yeah, the psychic task. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for. And then another prediction he makes is that you'll get stabbed in the back by someone you trusted, which is Mad-Eye.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, Also in the Goblet of Fire, he makes remarks about Barty Crouch Sr. dying uh, before Barty Crouch Sr. actually gets killed. He also says, and this has to do with putting names into the Goblet of Fire, but he says Dumbledore is a smart wizard, but that doesn't mean he couldn't be fooled, like talking about people finding loopholes to put their names in the Goblet of Fire. But then um, Dumbledore is fooled by Barty Crouch Jr., who's masquerading as Mad-Eye.
0: Dang, Ron's secretly onto something here.
1: Right, and then this this one I think is actually really good, and I had not picked up on it, but in Deathly Hallows, you know how Harry always says Voldemort and Ron doesn't like it? In Deathly Hallows, there they say Voldemort, and Ron freaks out so much he says it feels like a jinx or something. And that's when Voldemort had put the taboo on his name, so it was jinxed, like it was cursed.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't even think about there, that. There were there were some more
1: examples I uh, saw online. I didn't write all of them down, but those were kind of like the top ones where potentially Ron is accidentally predicting the future just by making jokes, like not even trying.
0: That that would be his, like, lot, too. It's, like, so casual, he doesn't even realize it.
1: Right, and it's, like, not anything important.
0: Yeah, but that's, it's funny, because at least the way J.K. Rowling writes the Weasley family is, like, every member kind of has a little something that distincts themselves from their siblings, and, like, they have, like, an edge card or something cool that, like, they're good at. Yeah. And so Ron's always so frustrated, because he's like, oh, I'm just Harry Potter's friend. I'm, like, the second best. I'm not, like, I have no identity as far as, like, my skill set or what makes me unique. Mm -hmm. and the irony of him being a seer and he can't see it
1: also he like hates divination so like he's good at the one thing he hates that's so
0: funny yeah like i feel like that's the ultimate ron weasley like thing
1: yeah yeah it definitely is i know he gets such like a dink lot in life (laughs) like he gets always such like the worst end of the stick
0: yeah but i love the irony like i can't see that i'm a seer it's so good so we would love to hear what you guys think on that too um You can always drop us a line or comment if you think uh, any of these fan theories hold up or you disagree. We'd love your input.
1: Yeah, I want to know everybody's favorite fan theory. And we have several more
0: prepared. All right, so it is time to kind of unpack this one. The Hagrid one? Yes. Okay. So this, uh, I have no ownership on this fan theory. It's actually um, through a Reddit thread through uh, Woof. And... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's literally dropping like this theory down like, like it's got some weight to it. Ooh, okay. So give it to me. You said you read this for the first time the other day. Yeah, and I'd never heard it. So the the fan theory is that Hagrid is a Death Eater. So I'm so sad by
1: this because I love Hagrid. Like I think he's one of the characters that is like true to his word, like and is true to himself and to Harry throughout the entire series, and like never tries to like wink harry or anything oh yeah like even dumbledore who's everyone's like he's the greatest he's the greatest in book five like won't speak to harry and keep secrets from harry and i feel like haggard is always cards on the table so i'm interested to see how this goes
0: i know in my opinion haggard's always dad and if he ever was doing anything it would be through kind of like misguided like good intentions or just being stupid like i don't think he's actually constantly crafting against harry but i just love the amount of detail for this and we're just gonna kind of go through it step by step just because it's really interesting okay so we have a bunch of evidence that dictates that hagrid could be a death eater for voldemort and uh some of the bullet points here are is that hagrid could be a high-ranking servant for lord voldemort and that he's secretly much more talented and a liar that he lets on that he's secretly much more talented and that he's been performing deep undercover like espionage and like witchcraft and sabotage behind the order of the phoenix and voldemort kind of like a double agent
1: he is pretty talented in terms of how he can do magic like i know he doesn't technically have a wand anymore but using broken pieces of a wand to perform the magic that you would like to actually happen like think about in chamber of secrets when ron's wand was broken and like he would try to perform spells and just something totally different would happen so if 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 Hagrid's able to use pieces of a broken wand and we see him perform things like lighting a fire or
0: human transfiguration. Yeah, giving sandwiches. Dudley a
1: pigtail, like those are very hard spells, and he does them with broken pieces, like he's clearly very powerful.
0: That and he definitely does have like a disdain for the Dursleys and maybe by extension Muggles.
1: He never really talks I mean, he's so a uh, much a part of the wizarding world, he never kind of enters Muggle society. But yeah, he hates the Dursleys. But I think it's more so because of the fact that they treat Harry like garbage, yeah. But I can't see for this theory extending that to Hagrid doesn't like Muggles.
0: Nope. And so when we have the book, the Sorcerer's Stone begin, we have Dumbledore McGonagall meeting at uh, Privet Drive, and Hagrid comes in on Sirius's motorcycle, and he has Harry with him. And one of the supporting or plot points that you know build this is that Hagrid knew where to collect Harry. Likely because Wormtail told him. Because Wormtail was, you know, the secret keeper for the Potters and knew where they would be, which led Voldemort to them. But if Hagrid, in this theory, was part of being a Death Eater, he knew where to collect Harry.
1: Why would they be collecting Harry, though? Like, I didn't... Did, Did Voldemort go to the Potters on his own? I think so. So would anyone know that the plan backfired? Like immediately, no one would know that, right?
0: Well, there's this whole part about Hagrid might know the function effects of Horcruxes because he doesn't fully believe that Voldemort is dead like everyone else does.
1: No, no, no. I I agree with that. I'm saying why would Pettigrew send Hagrid to the house to get Harry unless they knew that the spells had gone wrong?
0: Right. I don't know if he was playing double agent. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So this is a very long fan theory it's like a 10,000 word essay so to be completely honest i am kind of doing a little bit of scanning through it
1: no that's fine i just was trying to get your opinion on a plot point
0: yeah um i don't know i think what this fan theory is although it's interesting i think it's too much of a stretch for me to believe that he is like acting as a death eater
1: no 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 i i agree with that i'm saying on the night of voldemort's downfall how would anyone have known what had happened?
0: Oh, like... Uh, like, his followers weren't all
1: standing outside, right? And
0: like I don't know. I feel like he might have had at least one or two of his homies, like, at the ready.
1: Okay, I can understand that then.
0: Yeah, and then, like, he's gone and the house exploded. Because and...
1: then if Hagrid were a death Eater, it would make sense that he would go get Harry, because yeah. otherwise, who the heck knows this even happened?
0: Yeah, no, I think they would have... Voldemort would have had one or two of his followers with him that night, because... Even though it's just killing a baby, he did have to take out Lily and James, and they're skilled, or like you know wizards that are part of the Order of the Phoenix,
1: right? So maybe the Order of the Phoenix also had people post it. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. interesting definitely definitely up for speculation. Just like logistic wise, like if if someone went to a remote house and shot people there, yeah, and then also died themselves, like no one would n- know because like it's all hidden and secret away. So. I was just wondering how they like news traveled so fast that people knew what had happened to Voldemort. Right. No, it definitely
0: like It's it's to not part it. of
1: the fan theory. I was just
0: dissecting specula- it. Yeah.
1: speculating. But you're tr- you're right. Yeah, Hagrid does not believe that Voldemort is dead. Yeah. And everyone else in the wizarding world I think is nervous that he might come back, but for the most part seems to act as if Harry has defeated him and Voldemort is gone, whereas Hagrid in book one, says people believe he might still be out there biding his time.
0: Yeah, He little quote literally says, um, Some say he died. Codswallop, in my opinion. Don't know if he had enough human left in him to die. Most of us reckon he's still carrying out somewhere, but lost his powers too weak to carry on.
1: He says most of us? Yeah. Which is weird, because like, most people don't believe that in the wizarding world.
0: Exactly. So... so-
1: If Hagrid knows that there's ways to continue to live without your body, then he has some kind of inkling of, like, the dark magics that would be Horcruxes, whether or not he knows what they are specifically. But, yeah, that's another check in the Death Eater
0: book. Yes. Oh, uh, Hagrid literally personally introduces Harry to uh, Voldemort, a.k.a. Quirrell, and Diagon Alley, so... That's true. I mean, And when they
1: go into the forest, like, Hagrid leads Harry into... The Forbidden Forest in book one, yeah. looking for something, quote unquote, we're not sure if Hagrid knows or not, but then splits up and ends, ends up sending Harry Wright towards Voldemort by himself.
0: Yeah, so it's like another classic case of, is he like the blundering idiot or is he like a criminal mastermind?
1: <laughs>
0: and so it's funny, like to me, this fan theory for the you Star Wars fans out there is like the ridiculousness, like Phantom Menace, uh, Jar Jar Binks supposed to be... Uh, like a sith lord and so it's like that whole illusion oh, of like,
1: like acting dumb in plain sight so nobody ever suspects you
0: yeah and then like low-key pulling the strings from the background Ooh. yeah so interesting just to like entertain the idea yeah i like that idea hagrid also purchases a very conspicuous and easy to see owl for harry
1: oh yeah so
0: it's like anytime he's sending messages out it'd be like look for like the one white owl at hogwarts that's
1: true. Yeah, even at one point Sirius says Hedwig is like too obvious and ha- he's been using different owls. Yes. Because I guess ha- Harry has the one and only white owl in all yeah, of England. So. literally.
0: <laughs> that and like there's um the whole bit of like Hagrid always like in sketchy places. He's there's, always, like, in always sketchy. A, like Nocturne Alley or like got that uh dragon egg Norbert.
1: Did he get the dragon egg at um the hog's head? Yes. Yeah, he's always kind of in dodgy And like, yeah, he can take care of
0: himself, but like, yeah, he's always just seems like to be in like weird spots on his downtime.
1: Very true. Also, he takes Harry to Vault 713, which is where the Sorcerer's Stone was supposed to be. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know if that's related or not. I just thought of it. I guess if I think through it, it doesn't make sense. Because if if Hagrid were a Death Eater, he would have just taken the... Sorcerer's Stone at that point. Yeah. Unless... Oh, no, I guess because if, if Quirrell, Voldemort, needed to kill Harry when he came back, then Hagrid would have to lead Harry to, to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's more just Hagrid being completely misguided in kind of a bumbling idiot sort of way rather than being, like, a crafty genius.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I don't even think he's, like, an idiot per se. I think he just... He's trying to do, like, do his job and also watch out for Harry as best he can. But, like, if you think about Hagrid, too, he's been on his own since he was young and, like, grew up essentially being the groundskeeper. And, like, he's kind of shunned from wizard society. So I think he's, you know, doing his best with limited resources.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that's what I mean. Like, I think it's him. It's, like, naivete. A lot right, of right, 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 right.
1: I just have a big soft spot for Hagrid. Oh, so I, I love Hagrid. Know. I don't
0: want to believe this saying theory. I think it's fascinating with like all the examples and like situations collected who, um, by this person. I think they really did a ton of research, so it's interesting to explore. But yeah, no, Hagrid. I personally love Hagrid. My favorite like, supporting character in the books. Yes. Because he's just a heart of gold. He's flawed, but he just touches everyone's soft spot. How do you not love Hagrid? I know.
1: All right. Are there more examples, though? Oh, plenty.
0: <laughs> so, um, there's that whole conversation Hagrid has with McGonagall and everyone at the... I think it's not the Boar's Head, it's the... Um, the
1: Boar's Head! The deli. <laughs> the deli? Boar's Head is the deli meat brand.
0: Oh, the Boar's Head.
1: <laughs> you yeah. mean the Hog's Head? Hog's Head.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> no, what's not that one? Um, oh, the Three Broomsticks? Thank you, Three Broomsticks. Yeah, they have a whole conversation where he's talking about uh, Peter Pettigrew or um, um, Sirius Black being a traitor and killing the Potters inadvertently and just being way too loud and, like, everybody hearing and, like, all these things where there's all these circumstances throughout the books where Hagrid kind of inadvertently, like, shouldn't have said that, but, like, really loud.
1: But they're in a private room when they're doing that, and the only reason that Harry hears it is because he sneaks in with his invisibility cloak, right?
0: He's not, like, being too loud. I think so. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, lovingly, you are often always way too loud.
0: (laughs) Oh, I boom. That is my superpower.
1: So I feel like if we were talking about a secret subject, like, there'd be a pretty good chance that people would overhear us. Yeah. Because someone doesn't know how to whisper.
0: Nope. Whispering is for fools. And I think one of the last ones we have here is... um... Hagrid apparently kept Voldemort's wand safe for 13 years.
1: Wait, Hagrid had his wand?
0: This is a little bit of a stretch, actually.
1: That doesn't make any sense.
0: Where did (laughs) I cut that? Wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. Please, please go into This is such a stretch, okay. So, uh, Voldemort's wand, which Ollivander sold him when he was 11, was a U-wand with a phoenix core feather and the twin to Harry's wand. Yep. This is the wand he took to the potter's residence to kill Lily and James. Later, we see Voldemort has a wand in his graveyard duel with Harry, where the cores connect in book four.
1: Yeah, wait, where was the wand the whole time? Hagrid had it?
0: Apparently, but there's no other evidence to support that in this.
1: They just say that Hagrid had it? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense.
0: Oh, here it goes.
1: Are they saying that when he took Harry- If the wand
0: was left at the residence, the Ministry would have acquired it when they searched the house to keep Muggles from taking it when uh, Voldemort- basically got annihilated by baby harry
1: right well the the house was already secret from muggles
0: right so when hagrid arrives at godric's hollow he finds baby harry and takes a wand apparently that's what this theory is suggesting
1: that is illogical to me
0: i think so too there's a little bit of holes in here and maybe i'm not reading this as carefully as i could but
1: i always assumed that Hagrid had to, like, so, like, this enormous accident happened and the Potters are dead. And I assumed that Hagrid had to go get Harry, potentially because he was, like, the closest one, like, physically. Like, there was just, like, an emergency of, like, we need to get Harry out before the rest of the Death Eaters come. Like, I I just assumed that for some reason all the Death Eaters would show up. And it seemed like there was kind of this urgency to get Harry out. So I guess I just presumed that Hagrid got in got Harry and was like we got to get out of here and then Death Eaters came and I assumed one of them had taken the wand yeah I don't know who because Pettigrew ends up with it in book four and returns it to Voldemort
0: that's probably more of like what happened instead of like Hagrid being the one to find it what we're I was saying earlier is like when Voldemort came to Godric's Hollow to kill Harry's parents, he probably had one or two Death Eaters with him, like, stationed by. Yeah. And so, when everything went down, I assumed one of the Death Eaters probably collected his wand and then eventually gave it to Peter Pettigrew when he was serving Voldemort when he came back.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of iffiness about, like, where did it go? Because <laughs> <laughs> all the Horcruxes were put into safekeeping yeah. by Voldemort, but, like, a, a wand for someone who's most people assume is dead is kind of a strange thing to like keep holding on to
0: yeah so yeah definitely kind of a patchy we'll just have
1: to suspend our belief in, yeah. on that situation but very I like this theory yeah it's definitely worth a read creativity and the yeah you said the article that this uh yeah, reddit user wrote is really long
0: yep it's uh by once again it's by woomph so <laughs> go on reddit and give it a read for yourself because it's it's really like an essay it's very long but
1: we can post a link to it too
0: yeah it's definitely interesting it's worth a read huh <laughs> on a lighter note and i absolutely love this it's just classic weasley shenanigans but um it's not even a fan theory just something i wanted to put into the episode but there's a part in book one where the Weasley brothers are throwing snowballs at Quirrell and hit him in the back of the head. Oh yeah, and it's
1: where Voldemort is. Yeah,
0: so just essentially the Weasley brothers like snowballing Voldemort in the face is just my favorite thing ever.
1: It's a classic Fred and George. Like I feel like that just sums up their approach to the world perfectly.
0: Yeah, they're definitely.
1: I also love when they make their great escape in Order of the Phoenix and they leave behind that piece of the swamp and like flitwick like saves a little part of it because he's like it's just really good magic yeah like
0: like talent recognizing talent and respecting it
1: yes 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 yes. yes, yes i think so they're
0: good. genuinely my favorite characters in the books
1: well they're kind of similar to you and say, your twin brother. yeah
0: it's me and if me and elliot were wizards like we would love like pulling pranks and just like hijinks and oh, yeah it's awesome Also, separate but great fun fact, I love that we read up somewhere that Flitwick was, like, the dueling champion at Hogwarts.
1: Yeah, he's such, like, a powerful wizard, and you wouldn't expect it, but he's the dueling champion of Hogwarts, which I think is so cool. And I think, I must have been reading, like, Book 7 and talking about, like, how powerful all the wizards were, like, all the teachers were who were helping in the Battle of Hogwarts, But to have, like, the dueling champion and McGonagall who, like, activates all the statues and stuff. Like, that's so cool. Oh,
0: it's badass. It's really cool. It's so cool. (sighs) That battle's great, but I feel like... It's oh, but terrifying. In the... the whole part with the spiders of the forest oh, swarm and You hate
1: spiders, but yeah. But I was gonna say in the book, the fight is so great because like McGonagall and Snape have this showdown. Yes. And Snape like jumps out a window and they cut that out of the movie entirely. We're gonna have to have uh like compare the books to the movies kind of episodes because that's one of my favorite parts. Is like Harry goes looking for the diadem, gets confronted by the Karos in the Ravenclaw common room comes McGonagall comes in Harry like defends her honor yeah and then McGonagall just like springs to action and they're like okay we need to like find this we need to set up like stuff and then Snape is is involved and he McGonagall confronts him and he they have this like crazy fight where like she like throws a field of daggers at him and like he turns the daggers into smoke and like it's so well written it's so cool it's really good magic and I wish that in the movies they had done the battles more justice because they just kind of have, like, crazy lights flying. It's very, like, laser-esque. It's yeah. very Star Wars. And the magic is so creative because it's, like, Snape will throw a snake, and then McGonagall will transfigure the snake into something else, and then, like, all these daggers can fly. And it's so exciting, and it's so... like Not whimsical, because it is, like, a deadly no, but battle, it's like- but it's just, like, the creativity behind the spells is cool. It's not just, like, I'm going to hit you with... A jet of light that's going to hurt you it's like i'm gonna throw a hundred knives at you
0: oh yeah it's true magic and it's like two masters of the craft like literally like no yes! no bars back like let's go like and that's why i really enjoy when they have voldemort's and um dumbledore's fight oh um, yeah because it's truly like a battle of the ages like- yeah
1: and like in the book dumbledore activates like the creatures from the statue in the ministry of magic and like they're fighting for him and it's so good and they kind of do a little bit better of a job with that one in the movies because they have, like, the big ball of water and stuff, but it still doesn't capture, like, how crazy the magic actually can
0: be. Yeah, no, and I it's wish really cool. Uh,
1: I wish they would make a TV series or, like, an animated thing because you could animate the magic to look any way you want, I guess. I don't know. I just really want it to get...
0: Oh, a Harry Potter series Redone. as, like, an animated thing would be great.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was just, like, a little scuttlebutt about, like, HBO potentially making a TV series of it, but it was, like, w- that one meeting was had, and everyone was just like, oh, HBO's making a TV show about Harry Potter, and, like, it's, it's not in the works. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not happening.
0: Um, but, yeah, I wish it was. I know, because there'd be some really fun stuff to explore, and, like, The books are wonderful, and I love the whole, like, journey of the school year, but it'd be fun, like, as, like, a series to do, like, independent episodes of, like, weird, like, classroom drama, like, this and that, like, the plot.
1: There's so much more in the plot that doesn't happen in the movies, especially in terms of, like, world building. Like, I think whoever did the movies kind of made them dark and brooding, which is a choice, and it makes sense with some of the books, but some of the books feel very, like, goofy
0: yeah, and there's, like, more whimsical, like, fun energy about it, where it's, like, a day in the life of Hogwarts. Today we had class. Like, whatever, yeah. this is happening. Then or we
1: went down to, like... Even, like, in the Ministry of Magic, when they, like, send memos as little paper airplanes. Like, you don't have to do that, but it's such a funky, weird detail of their world that just, like, put it in, please. It's yeah. so strange. I love it. And I think they put it in the movie, but you just see, like, some paper airplanes flying around in the background. So unless you knew that happened in the book, it makes no sense. mm Anyway, I digress. I wanted those <laughs> movies to be so much more than they were.
0: It's alright. There's always there's always hope.
1: Alright, do you have another fan theory for me?
0: Um, It's not really a fan theory, but it's something I like to discuss and explore, and it's that uh, Neville wasn't necessarily bad at magic for his first few years of Hogwarts. It was the fact that he had the wrong wand.
1: I think this is a great fan theory, and we were discussing this, like, together earlier today, but... Yeah. The fan theory essentially says that, like, yes, Neville had his parents' wand. Like, he inherited it. And his the reason is because his grandma really wanted him to be more like his dad and, like, really look up to his parents because they weren't there for him because they had been um, tortured into insanity, which is a very tragic story
0: that's kind of glossed over. It's horrendous, but it's also, like, the Ugh, sacrifice that for that the cause. That little scene
1: where Neville takes the gum wrapper from his mom and, like, puts it in his pocket and takes it home. Breaks my heart every time. That, yeah, that whole scene. Because his grandma's like, like just throw like... it away. It's just trash. And he's like, no. Yeah. This Ugh. is this is from my mom. Oh, it's that's so sad. And that's the thing. Like,
0: I feel like Neville is the perfect, like, average person.
1: I feel like Harry and Neville, and this is because they were both potentially the chosen one, have such parallel stories. And I feel like had Harry given Neville any kind of thought as to, like, actually treating him like a true friend and like talking about things they could have found a lot of support in each other and harry's just kind of like a dick about
0: (laughs) oh harry yeah harry's
1: so self-absorbed but like you know they both don't have their parents and granted neville grew up in the wizarding world but like had very little magical ability for a long time and harry did not grow up in the wizarding world but did have some magical ability so they both kind of grew up like at odds with their surroundings and i just feel like they could have really connected with each other
0: Yeah, definitely missed opportunity, and it was like tough for Neville because he lost his parents extremely young. He was like, like traumatized by that. Also, living under their shadow, his like grandmother seemed like her like root in life was like tough love. Just got to like chin up and bear it. Like Mm -hmm. we're gonna get through it. It Wasn't like nurturing for him. Right. So then he goes to Hogwarts. Wicked anxious, bro. Like everybody's flexing because everyone can do magic, and he's like, I'm terrible and intimidated, and he has his father's wand where
1: there's such like a pressure of like the legacy of your parents yeah and he just cannot cope with that
0: yep and like the whole thing with like olivander is like the wand chooses the wizard yes and so you know even though it was his dad's wand the allegiance or whatever could be there but it's not right for him
1: right i mean even uh even ron gets a hand-me-down wand in the first book yeah in the second book it breaks and i mean we see how bad the broken wand is when ron's doing magic but for Neville to be doing magic with a wand that's not yours is really tough. And even Harry says, like, when he borrows Hermione's wand a couple of times in Deathly Hallows, that, like, it just doesn't perform the same. And so I can't imagine trying to, like, learn magic, having no kind of baseline of, like, what is a good fitting wand for you. Just, like, trying really hard to make it work with this wand that's not right. Yeah. And just thinking that, like, I guess this is just hard for me. Like, I'm just not good. Then in book Five, his wand breaks at the ministry of magic like showdown Ugh. at the end that's and a
0: great he finally gets section. his
1: wand that section also didn't get enough justice in yeah because neville
0: had his whole like get big moment of like harry don't give him the prophecy like
1: they had that they had the room that like was all about time yeah and the there's that like tentacle thing that attacks ron because they're studying so all the things the department of mysteries are things that wizards are studying are like time death and, like, the mind. Yeah. So, like, things that are still mysteries. And it's such a cool sequence. And all they do is just put in, like, a room with thousands of glass balls in it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I the- really wanted to see Raw get attacked by, like, a mind squid. Yeah. the <laughs> like, brain. sounds things. Way Those are crazy. Or that Death Eater whose head goes in the time jar and it's, like, fluctuating between, like, old person and baby. Yes. That's creepy. Put that in.
0: Right? It only takes, like, a, like... 30 not even like 15 seconds to animate that i mean it probably takes a lot more but i don't know
1: i think it just they chose to make the movies dark in a way that i wouldn't have interpreted them as like the books can be dark but then they don't necessarily portray them with like seeing somebody's head go from one to the other that's disturbing and you can make it disturbing yeah but just being like everything's going to be dimly lit and dusty and that's how we're going to portray like spooky is not how i would have done it mm-hmm. personally but jumping back to neville yeah at the ministry he has like his great showdown and he does so well and like that's during that year he was getting so much confidence working with the defense uh with dumbledore's army so we know that he is good at magic given the right circumstances and then he finally gets his own wand the next year
0: yeah, and it definitely just starts his journey of, like, get big, like, self-actualize, get better at magic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed when we were looking this up. We couldn't find any specific examples from Half-Blood Prince of Neville being better at magic. But we do see by Book 7, like, he is pivotal to the resistance at Hogwarts, and he's the one who kills Nagini. So, like, he's clearly come leaps and bounds in two years. Yeah. Which, like, personally... Not even Harry like got that good at magic for his own showdown with Voldemort. He was just like, I'm, I know Expelliarmus. I'm gonna stick oh my to that. God. Yeah, that's his hat trick.
0: <laughs> at least like Neville has like herb lore and like knows some other things.
1: Well, that's what I was reading earlier too when we were researching this. Is like Neville could have equally been the chosen one it would have been pretty similar to Harry because Harry's good at Defense Against the Dark Arts and flying, and we see Neville through Dumbledore's army is good at Defense Against the Dark Arts and Herbology. Yeah. And they both have, what, two wheelhouses? That's it?
0: Yeah. So literally could have gone either way. It could have been very close. Which I do really appreciate about the writing, was like Harry became the chosen one because he literally was chosen.
1: Yeah. Like Voldemort specifically fulfilled that prophecy in a way that like made Harry his own mortal enemy.
0: Yes. Which I think is cool. Oh, it's super cool. And the only reason is because... Harry came from a well. His mom was like came from a Muggle family, so Voldemort like identified with that. Yeah, and decided to kill Harry over Neville being from pure blood.
1: Ugh. I know Neville still has his parents, but I feel like it's almost a mercy that like Harry's parents got killed, Oh, Neville has to live with the like tragedy of like seeing his parents like lose their minds. That's so sad.
0: So sad. Ugh. And
1: yeah. Neville's like a really strong character, like emotionally like like I said he's lived here all his trauma and it's just kind of glossed over Hogwarts needs like a therapist yeah <laughs> like, all these poor kids have trauma like Cho Chang's boyfriend got murdered Henny Henny Ginny was possessed like Harry's constantly interacting with Voldemort Ron and Hermione are constantly in danger like they need some help
0: oh yeah at this school magical therapy <laughs> necessary absolutely one other neat little aside yeah, I guess we call it a fan theory, but um, while they're in the Department of Mysteries, obviously there's that whole arch yeah, that Sirius passes through and, you know, is instantly killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one theory was that that arch used to be used for executions.
1: Oh yeah, I came across this. Did you read about this too?
0: Yeah, do you want to take the wheels on it?
1: Yeah, so what I was reading is that, and this is kind of twofold, so I found two fan theories that I think kind of go together. The first part of this is that Avada Kedavra may have originally been A healing spell? Hear me out. So what it would do would be you would... Because you know how when they say you have to do an unforgivable curse, you have to really mean it? Yeah. So originally people think that maybe Avada Kedavra was abracadabra. And it was a spell that would kill like bacteria or illness in the body Hmm. and cure people. And then that evolved into something much more powerful, Avada Kedavra, which became so strong it just killed all the life force. But that means that potentially Avada Kedavra is not that old of a spell, in which case they needed ways to execute criminals, which they don't do anymore, because as we see, all the death eaters just go to Azkaban. Nobody's sentenced to death. But when they're in that room with the death arch, Harry makes a note that it's got similar seating to the Wisingamot, like, courtroom. And that would indicate to me that, like, if people are being forced to be executed and go through this, like, archway, that, like people are watching it as, like, a public execution kind of thing.
0: Wow, that's really cool.
1: So, yeah, so it's potentially, like, used to be used for execution, and now execution is not allowed in the wizarding world.
0: Yeah, no, definitely makes you think.
1: So I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know how I feel about the abracadabra, avadakadabra theory. I think it is interesting that, like, spells were developed, because in my head I was just like, all spells just suddenly existed all at once.
0: No, I mean, there's a whole part with Snape and Symptom Severa where, like, he learns to create that, like, basically slashing curse yeah which is badass that's cool
1: and there's got to be a lot of spells that are just like not allowed anymore like not mainstream anymore that have yeah. been forgotten
0: Ooh, some ancient stuff
1: yeah so yeah that could be very cool i
0: think the whole avadakadabra i never correlated that to being abracadabra which is actually really funny in my opinion but um yeah, to me, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's interesting. And it makes you think, which is fun.
1: Interesting that they always say you have to mean it because that could mean it's like very difficult to do. And therefore, like it could be like you have to mean it and like while you're performing it as abracadabra, be very intentional about like what you're killing in someone's body if it's like a disease or a sickness. Right. Because that's a very difficult piece of magic to do.
0: Like nonverbal spells too.
1: Right. So there's definitely like tiers of difficulty in magic, but if you then have to mean it, so hard they're gonna kill the entire like entity of someone that's pretty intense
0: yeah and
1: that's one thing
0: i think any type of like fantasy book needs as far as like their class with magic is like you need constraints you need certain conditions and requirements be met in order to magic for to happen otherwise it's not believable and it's not engaging
1: yeah if it's just kind of like anyone can do magic and there's no consequence
0: yeah you need consequence
1: I think, yeah, or just some sort of, like, balance out. Like, in Harry Potter, like, if you're a wizard and you have a wand, you can do magic, but you're not necessarily good at magic, which I think is an interesting idea. Because in a lot of other books or fantasy, it's like, oh, you're an apprentice wizard, and then you just, you master wizardry, and then you're good at magic. But, like, it seems like in Harry Potter, there's still plenty of adults who aren't even good yeah. at magic. Like, they finish their education, and they're still kind of like, eh.
0: Yeah, there needs to be... An equivalent exchange, like Full Metal Alchemist, like you need to be able to meet the requirements to make a spell, and it has to take its toll; otherwise, it it's not believable.
1: Right. I think it's it's a very interesting way to create magic. Yeah. Um. So, talking about something like Avada Kedavra, I have my final fan theory that I was keeping because it's kind of dark, and then you have another fan theory. Yeah, we're really going to be heading
0: on a dark note. I know. Maybe?
1: So, I think. Um, There are two things that J.K. Rowling says she will not talk about. And one is how Voldemort got his body back. So we have a fan theory through that. And then the one that I have is how Horcruxes are made. And I'd like to talk about Voldemort getting his body back first. Because I I researched this whole fan theory about Horcruxes and I haven't presented it to Sam yet. So I'm like waiting for his reaction on air. So I think it'll be cool. All
0: right. So as we know, uh, for the first couple... Years since Harry had uh, been going to Hogwarts, Voldemort had to exist in one form or another, dependent on another. Whether it was you know him siphoning off a of quarrel, which is like disgusting and terrifying and awesome, mm-hmm. or you know he's in like astral projectile form, in kind of like book two. And-
1: well, his body's elsewhere. That's the piece in the Horcrux. That's not his current soul.
0: Right. He's kind of just in limbo after quarrel.
1: I think he's inhabiting snakes at that point. Remember? Yeah, they say he shares bodies with animals, preferably snakes, so that like he can uh, easily hop from body to body to like sustain him. But they don't animal bodies like don't hold up to it very well.
0: No, and so he eventually does need a human form, which thus puts us in with uh, the theory that while Bertha Jorkins may have been pregnant, Voldemort took over the like unborn baby, like the fetus, as like a host.
1: Yeah, so Bertha Jorkins is the one in book four that people keep saying went missing from the Ministry of Magic. She was on holiday and just never came back. And, like, we know that Bertha Jorkins ends up running into Peter Pettigrew, and he's weasels information out of her about the Triwizard Tournament, which hatches his whole plan with fake Mad-Eye Moody and Barty Crouch Jr. and getting Harry to the graveyard. But the, like, other part of it that we don't see is that, like, Voldemort somehow shows up in this like weird baby body and nobody knows where it came from. So, the theory, like Sam said, is that Bertha Jorkins was pregnant at the time and Voldemort possessed the unborn baby and then like used that baby body. It's so disturbing. It's so bad. It's, so fucked it's like
0: truly like black magic, like evil, evil stuff. <gasps> but, like, how else, you know? Can't just make a body appear out of thin air no. no
1: and that's the one that he uses to like rebirth himself in the graveyard with harry's like blood and the bone of his father and wormtail's hand so clearly it was a body that was able to sustain him for a decent amount of time and as we see like even Quirrell, a full-grown like competent adult wasn't able to be in the same body as voldemort's soul for like an extended amount of time without like losing it and yeah. so like you can't share a body with a like, a baby's body without, like, destroying it, I would assume. So unless he, like, took it from the get-go.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely some dark stuff.
1: It's so horrible to think about. I know. And we know that Bertha Jorkins gets killed by Peter Pettigrew, but we don't know at what point. So this is definitely, like, a potential theory. And uh, technically, they could have done it with anyone. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be Bertha Jorkins. She's just the only character we know of that
0: plot wise it would make sense. Yeah,
1: I had this run in with Voldemort at the correct time. But as we'll see with the research I did for my next one, like even while creating Horcruxes, Voldemort just killed some random muggles to do it, so it's not even like he is against killing muggles for certain things. But potentially maybe having like a magical baby body would be more important to him than having a muggle baby. Yeah. to possess. No, it Ugh, it's would. like horrible, it's horrible to think about. I really don't
0: like i mean i mean that's what makes him truly the embodiment of evil
1: which is sometimes it's hard to remember obviously that like he is essentially like wizard hitler like he's committing genocide against muggles and muggle-born wizards but we never see it up close whereas like with a villain like umbridge who we see her actions on a daily basis in the books it's so much more frustrating to read about her and obviously Voldemort is like a horrible, horrible wizard and commits all these crimes, but we don't always see them. So to think about him doing this, it's like not not at all out of the realm of possibility. But in my brain, I'm like, oh, that's like too far. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wasn't expecting that's that. That's
0: heavy.
1: Yeah. It's so gross. All right. Are you ready for my theory? Yeah. Okay. let So I researched theories about making horcruxes. So we know that... Like I said, J.K. Rowling said there were two things she's never spoken about. One is that one, and the other is, like, the actual process of making a horcrux. So I took this theory from Reddit user Sir lionel 13 so they get all the credit, plus a little bit of extra research on my own. But we do know that to create a horcrux, you need murder, which rips your soul, a some sort of spell, and then there's a third part, which is some other unspeakable act, and that's all we know from J.K. Rowling. We know that Slughorn and Hermione in the books were all disturbed and sickened by learning about it, and even J.K. Rowling's editor, who knows like her thoughts about it, was disturbed. Wow. These three people, two fictional, one real, do not have this sickened reaction to anything else that occurs in the book. So murder, torture, um, genocide, like they're not as disturbed by those things as they are by this. So clearly wow. it's something that had to have been Different from things that occurs in the books and worse. So here's what Sir Lionel 13 thinks. they thinks they thinks. They think <laughs> <laughs> Gollum,
0: they thinks. <laughs> think.
1: Um so they think that in order to make a horcrux, you have to cannibalize your victim.
0: Oh shit.
1: <laughs> so in uh In different societies and in different lore, cannibalism has been associated with gaining strength, power, or health from the dead, i.e. like eating a defeated enemy to absorb their strength. So potentially using like a necromancy spell on a piece of a victim's flesh that you then consume might be powerful enough to create a horcrux. And what they theorized is that, and this was picked apart by some other people, but they were like, maybe if you eat if you eat someone, your soul is connected to their body in some kind of weird way. And then when their soul leaves to go to the afterlife, that's what rips your soul into two, because, like, it...
0: Too much in one vessel?
1: Yeah. So, like, part of your soul is tethered to theirs, and as theirs leaves to go to the afterlife, it rips your soul apart, and that's what helps create, like, the horcrux. Because remember, wow. it, they said murder, like, rips your soul, but they were saying, like, well, maybe there's one more step.
0: I got you, because I always thought it was just like murdering was going to corrupt your soul.
1: Right, but what if you have to like physically rip your soul? Wow. So some people thought this wasn't true because they were like, well, what about Harry? What about Harry? J.K. Rowling has come on the record and said that Harry's not a proper Horcrux. He just happened to have a part of Voldemort's soul living inside of him. He's not like, was not created through the typical Horcrux like steps. Yeah, no, he was definitely
0: like a blast back.
1: Yeah, so this wouldn't have applied here. And this could be a reason that Voldemort calls his followers Death Eaters.
0: Oh, snap. Yeah. That's cool. Isn't
1: that crazy? So I tried to look up who died for each Horcrux. Um, so Myrtle died for the Diary. Tom Myrtle Sr. died for the Gaunt Ring. Yep. Um, Hepzibah Smith, who's the one who had the Hufflepuff cup in the book, uh, Riddle kills her. Then he kills a homeless muggle and a peasant to make the Slytherin locket and the Ravenclaw diadem. And then Bertha Jorkins is killed to make Nagini into a Horcrux. Wow. So people were like, well, what about, like, those victims? Wouldn't there be evidence of cannibalism? And then someone was like, not if you just drink their blood.
0: <laughs> Which, I mean, he drinks unicorn blood, no problem. So
1: <gasps> I hadn't even thought about that.
0: Yeah. Dang.
1: Damn. Yeah, so some people were like, well, you wouldn't publish, like, cannibalism necessarily. And if it had been, like, such a small amount of their body, like, you wouldn't maybe necessarily notice that yeah. someone had had a little piece of their body cut off. But, yeah, if you drink someone's blood, that might be even more powerful and less noticeable. Wow. So that was the theory about how horcruxes are created. I thought it was really interesting. I haven't read too many theories about how horcruxes are created. And I know that in the fanfic world, apparently, like uh all the fanfics about like making horcruxes are like very over the top and very dramatic and crazy and so some people in the comments of this were like this seems kind of tame compared to like these other like fan theories we've read but it makes sense that it would be something kind of simple and straightforward but like would have to be something that most people wouldn't do
0: oh yeah you definitely have to like push the limit if you're going to be is like insane and like rip your soul. You're gonna have to do some subhuman stuff,
1: right? Because I always thought, yes, murdering rips your soul, but they never really discuss. Like there are people in the books who have murdered that don't have horcruxes, obviously, and they.
0: I think there's a difference between murdering, where it like corrupts your soul, but creating a horcrux, like you, yeah, there's like a physical thing you need to do in order to like rip your soul. Because think about it, Bellatrix murder serious.
1: Yeah. There's nope. other people that get murdered.
0: Yeah. Um, I think you have to kill with Hedigrew intent of subject. tearing like, your soul and putting in an object. Like, there's, like, a whole ritual.
1: Like, wouldn't then, like, if if it was just the murder, wouldn't doing Avada Kedavra, like, instantly rip your soul? And then, like, wouldn't something weird happen? Like, off the bat? I feel like if your soul is ripped, you're going to notice. It's not like, oh, my soul got ripped, and then it got put back together, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think murdering definitely, like, corrupts your soul. And then, like, that's, like, step one. But, like, to
1: actually, like... Take part of it and put it in something else, I oh, think has to separate. be a whole separate process. Because otherwise anyone who murdered would probably just make a horcrux, right? Yeah. Like if it automatically rips your soul, you may as well just be like, well I'm gonna take this and put it in here and there we go. I'm yeah. immortal now. And like obviously we know murder is a horrible thing, but not all murderers are cannibals. So to like add this extra level of disturbing to creating a horcrux, I think makes it wide.
0: Oh yeah. I think this is definitely like that next step you need to do in order to like go full swing if you're gonna like yeah go to this. Otherwise, like I said,
1: anyone who's a murderer would just make a Horcrux. Yeah, and yeah, that's clearly not the case in Harry Potter. No. So that was my last theory. I thought it was really good.
0: No, that's devastatingly awesome, and I think it really kind of expands the world and like the little details that we don't necessarily ever hear in the books or think about too too often. Right.
1: Like, I never really thought about the process of making a horcrux. I knew it was probably just, like, some dark magic, but I never thought about what went into it, and that... I read that, and I was like, shit, that's so disturbing. Like, I do not... Like, ugh, just having to eat a person is so,
0: yeah, so no, awful. Yeah, it's a whole new level.
1: I could not fathom doing that, so, like, to choose to do that, even in, like, a, a fictional setting, like, to make a character a cannibal is, like, that is a choice. <laughs> that is a choice. There's that is no heavy. going back. Yeah, and I feel like it would be something that Voldemort would keep secret, but like, obviously, because that does repulse many people. But it could be why he does call his followers Death Eaters as like a little nod to it.
0: Yeah. Wow. Just hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Very cool.
1: But those are all the fan theories I had prepared for today. Did you have any more?
0: No. Um. That was pretty much it. Um. It was really fun kind of exploring some of those, especially the last few that I hadn't heard about until researching for this episode. But we would love to know what you guys think. If there's any uh, fan theories that you know about that you want to send our way or give us suggestions for other uh, fan theories to talk about, you can always drop us a line.
1: Fantasticbookspod.com. Yeah, you can check out our social media on there too um, or even on our Facebook page. Just like share some fan theories right on there. That'd be awesome. But I think our very next episode after this we'll be back to wise man's fear so everybody get ready for that
0: and until until then then, happy reading thanks for listening
1: if you like what you hear check out our website fantasticbookspod.com or follow us on
0: instagram or facebook at fantasticbookspod don't forget to follow rate and leave a review Thanks. thanks